thank you, Dustin. Let me say once again, good morning. Welcome to Calvary. We're honored that you'd be here, especially if you're a visitor. We know there's a lot of out-of-town guests, and so if you're one of those out-of-town guests and uh, you woke up this morning thinking you were just going to eat breakfast, but somehow you got dragged to church, we're glad that you're here. Um, I have one of my own out-of-town guests. My oldest daughter, Cosette, is in town from back from her first semester of college, so I'm in that group of people that are uh, enjoying having loved ones in town. So uh, wherever you find yourself, we're just glad that you're here. We're welcome to have you at Calvary. Um, I want to remind everybody before we get into our text that beginning in the new year on January 7th, we're going to be changing our worship service to 9.30 a.m. So I'm only repeating that because when you change a service time, the key is over-communication. So let me just, I'm going to be saying it every Sunday between now and Sunday, January 7th, that starting on Sunday, January 7th, uh, the service time will be 9.30 a.m. So we've made that change to try to accommodate some folks and some young families, and we hope that it will be helpful to you as well. Well, this morning, um, in the theme of Christmas, pondering the meaning of Christmas, focusing our attention on Jesus, I'd like to invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 2 Corinthians, turn in your Bible or pull up your Bible app, I'll be reading from the ESV version, but whatever version you have will, will, uh, will suffice. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. So I would invite you to turn there. I'll read it for us, and then I'll pray. The title of my message is God's Inexpressible Gift. So as we read this passage, maybe be on the lookout for that reference. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 6. Follow along the word of the Lord. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your saving grace, for the gift of your Son, for the new covenant in his blood. And God, as we just sang, knowing that your love is strong, nothing will break your promises to us in Christ. 
Nothing will cause you to change your mind. You don't change your mind. Your words are eternally true. So God, I pray that you would, by your spirit, through your word, establish our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Fix the affections of our hearts on Jesus. Shift our perspective to eternal things. Give us biblical hope. God, I pray for everyone in the room. Lord, many of us are weary, so we pray that you'd strengthen us, encourage us. Lord, where we need it, convict us. I pray for those who are homesick. Pray, Lord, that you would bring healing to them. I pray, Lord, for those who are traveling. Lord, I pray that they would shine the light of Christ wherever they go. Lord, as we study your word now, give me clarity. Enable me to be precise. Give us all the grace to hear. And Lord, the greater grace to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when you think of Christmas, I wonder what comes to mind. As I thought about that, I tend to go to Christmas lights on houses. That, that to me, is one of the first indicators of Christmas. You're driving down the street, and you see Christmas lights. And, of course, who doesn't like to look in a house and see in that prominent front window the Christmas tree lit up with the Christmas Lights. We think of things like family gatherings and your favorite meal. I asked my wife the other day, what's your favorite holiday food? And she says, I think of ham and cheesy potatoes. So that's what she thinks of. I don't know. I think of uh, tamales. I love tamales on the holidays. But I don't know what comes to mind. But these are the things we tend to think about. Or more recently, in our drive through coffee era, Maybe you think of a peppermint mocha or a gingerbread chai at Starbucks. Those are the kinds of things that come to mind when we think about Christmas. Things we enjoy at Christmas. When you think about passages in the Bible at Christmas, you tend to think about the passages of the Bible that have to do with angels and shepherds and wise men and Mary and Joseph, but there are passages in the Bible, very applicable at Christmas, that tend to get overlooked. And I think one of those passages is right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now when I read this passage, if you were paying attention, you might have thought to yourself, well, that's the passage that pastors tend to preach about when they're wanting people to give more money. When there's a building campaign, it's about the only time you might read this passage. And this passage um, does have to do with, with giving. If you look at verse 7, for, interest, for, in, for instance, if you look in verse 7, Paul, who writes this letter to the Corinthian church, says, um, he says, give what you determine in your heart. Give freely and not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so the idea here is that Paul is writing to the church and saying, look, you know, our giving should be free. And, and we, we tend to think of finances, but that could be true of your time. That could be true of just giving your attention to someone when they're talking. And you tend to be thinking about what you plan to say. And Paul is saying, listen, give 
generously. Look at verse 10. Paul says, God provides seed for the sower and bread for food. And when we give, God makes sure that we're abundantly taken care of. Paul's writing to the church and he's saying, you should give freely. You shouldn't be under compulsion. You should give whatever's in your heart to give. And then he says, the reason you can give is because God's going to take care of you. God's going to make sure you have what you need. God's never not taken care of you. If you were to sit and just think about stages of your life as a child and as a young adult, as a college student, as a young married couple, when you didn't know how you'd pay the bill, God always took care of you. So you don't need to hold on to what you have. You can be generous. That's what Paul is saying. You look at verse 11. It says that God enriches us. God enriches us not so that we can endlessly pad our lifestyle or up the square footage of the house or upgrade the car or get the latest phone. God enriches us so that we can be generous with others. And it says that when we're generous, in verse 11, it says that being generous creates thanksgiving. Now that's interesting, isn't it? It's not that thanksgiving produces generosity. It's that if you will be generous, God will do something in your heart that produces thanksgiving. Oftentimes it is the case that obedience precedes the emotion. So generosity produces thanksgiving. Now what is Paul saying? Paul's saying God wants us to be giving. God wants us to be gracious. God wants us to be generous with others. God will take care of you. You focus on taking care of others. God will meet your needs. Not your wants, but your needs. Now let's just admit for a moment. This is hard for us. This is hard for us because our natural, sinful inclination is not generosity. It is not service. It is not thinking first of others. It's thinking first of ourselves. It's being, if we're honest, stingy. And also wanting to be served rather than serving. And so the good news of this passage is that God has done for us all of these things that he requires of us. All of the things Paul says should be in your life, generosity, service, others, orientation, is what God has demonstrated for us and what God does in us. So maybe you're thinking, what in the world does this have to do with Christmas. Well, we see something profound at the end of the passage. Maybe you, with your eagle eyes, spotted it. But look in verse 15, if you would. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Paul is writing people he knows do not have the power in themselves to be servants, to be generous, to be givers. And so, his confidence is that all of this proceeds out of something God has given us. And so, let me talk first about God's gift. 
One thing I didn't mention that we tend to think about at Christmas is gifts. We talk a lot about gifts. We think a lot about gifts at Christmas. One of my favorite Christmas movies is about a little boy who gets a red, uh, oh, what's it called? A, a, red, a, red, a BB gun. He gets the BB gun. And he's praying for this BB gun. He's asking for this BB gun. And he finally gets the BB gun. We think a lot about gifts at Christmas. What we want to give, what we want to get, and if you're a parent, how you're going to pay for all of it. Or maybe a grandparent too. As we sit on Santa's lap as a kid, we tell him what we want, and then you wake up Christmas morning and you run to the tree and you're rifling through the toys, looking for the shape of the toy that you were hoping that you would get. Even as adults, don't we sit through hours of television commercials about presents? And I always love the car commercials about the Christmas morning Lexus with the red Well, I still have not experienced getting the car with the red bow, and I have certainly haven't given that gift yet. It's pretty nice. But gifts are a big part of Christmas. And I remember when I was a kid, pastors would talk about how it's not about gifts, it's about Jesus. But that's a bit of a false dichotomy. Paul is saying Christmas is actually about a gift. It's about God's gift. And I wonder, you can probably guess what the gift is. But before we get to that, notice in verse 15, Paul says that God's gift is inexpressible. That word is only used once in the New Testament. It's inexpressible. What that means is you can't fully explain something. God has given us a gift... And God's gift changes us, and it turns us into the kinds of people we never thought we'd be, serving people, generous giving, gracious people. But all of this flows out of God's gift. And it's the gift we celebrate at Christmas. It's the gift that came wrapped in swaddling clothes. It's the gift that was lying in a manger. It's the gift born in Bethlehem. It's the gift that the shepherds came to see. It's the gift of a redeemer. It's God's gift of a savior. It's God's gift of atonement, of salvation, of reconciliation. It's God's gift of eternal life. Paul is saying that Jesus is God's gift. Jesus is God's gift. There's a mentality in our culture where people think, what what have I ever gotten from them? Or what have you done for me lately? You know, I mean, you buy all those presents this year and flash forward, you're going to do it all, all again next year. But God gave once to humanity the perfect gift. But Paul says you can believe it, but you can't fully explain it. I wonder if you've ever been on a vacation and you come home and your friends say, tell us about your trip. And you struggle to find the words about what you saw and what you tasted and what you experienced. Paul is saying, I can't fully put into words just how wonderful God's gift is. We can't imagine the glory that Jesus left in heaven to enter into human flesh and become a man. We can't imagine the pain and rejection 
he endured from humans which he created. We can't possibly grasp the idea of a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, enjoying perfect fellowship for eternity, only for the Son to enter into the flesh, live a sinless life, and on the cross experience being forsaken by the Father for our sins. We can't grasp that. So when Paul says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift, we can only say, amen. There are no words to fully express that gift. We can't really put into words God's love. I certainly can't do justice describing for you Jesus Christ and the gift that he is to humanity. Paul says we can't fully describe Jesus, but we do need to understand something. Jesus is God's gift. He is God's gift. Now what that means is that at Christmas we remind ourselves that salvation is a gift. Forgiveness is God's gift. And when we, meet, when we say it's a gift, what we mean is you can't earn it. You can't pay for it. You can't be good enough to have your sins forgiven. There are no, uh, there are no amends that you can make to gain entrance into heaven or to be right with God. You can only receive it by faith as a gift of God. Jesus, God's gift. Jesus is God's gift. You might run into somebody who thinks God's not been particularly good to them. They've had a hard life. Maybe they tend to focus on what's gone wrong. Failures, faults, shortcomings. Maybe they're sort of rooted in bitterness. And this truth that God has given us his perfect final gift in Jesus cuts like light through that darkness. Paul says, you can't fully understand it, but you better understand this. Jesus, the Savior, is a gift. Now this is a theme throughout the Bible in Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the results of works, so that no one may boast. So when Paul's writing to the Corinthians, he wants them to know Jesus is God's gift. When Paul's writing to the Ephesians, he wants them to know Jesus is God's gift. When Paul writes to the Romans, Romans 6.23 he says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul says, I don't care if you live in Corinth or Ephesus or Rome or West Hills. You need to know, although I can't fully explain, that Jesus is God's perfect gift. In Romans 6.23, Paul calls it a free gift. I think that's two of the most beautiful words in all of the Bible. Jesus is God's free gift. We're all used to gifts that have strings, aren't we? Somebody says, hey, I'm giving away free t-shirts. No, you're not. I need to give you my information. And I'm exchanging my information, which is valuable to you, for something, a t-shirt, which might be valuable to me. But Paul says, there are no strings. There is no fine print. 
You don't have anything that God needs. You don't have anything valuable to God. We are sinners dead in our transgressions. And God says, I'm going to save you. You can't earn it. You can't pay me back for it. You don't even want it. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for it. God says, I'm going to give you my son as a free gift. We can't adequately describe this, but it's free. God gives Jesus to the world so that sinners that look to Jesus can be forgiven and reconciled to God. We're born into the world sinners, sort of in a, in a stance of rebellion against God. And when we receive the free gift of salvation by faith, we go from being enemies of God to being children of God. And this is what I want you to understand about what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth. The gift of Jesus doesn't just save us, it changes us. When you receive the gift, it changes you because it connects you with Jesus. So let me lay out a couple of ways that God's gift changes us. There are three ways, gracious, giving, and serving. So first, when you receive the gift of Jesus... God works in you so that his grace can abound to others. Look in verse 8. Paul says, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things and at all times, you may abound in every good work. This is good news for you. Because there's something in life that you fear. What if I don't get into that college? What if my job goes away? What if my investments go south? What if, what if nobody buys my house? What if my car dies? What if this relationship ends? There are things we fear. And Paul is saying at every stage of your life, for every circumstance, in that moment, God's grace abounds. God's grace abounds. Like in a practical way, you might have to give a big presentation at work this week and you know you're going to be in a room staring down all of these people and you've got to impress them and you've got a lot of fear and anxiety. And Paul's saying in that meeting room, God's grace will abound to you. How? Through God's gift, Jesus Christ. But that changes you. That changes you so that being a recipient of grace, you become someone who shows others grace. The gift changes you. The gift is a gift of grace, and it changes you to become a gracious person. So you're not somebody who keeps a record of wrongs and holds it against someone, because God took your record of wrongs, and in the blood of Christ, he remembers it no more. He doesn't hold it against you, so now you are someone that doesn't hold others' records of wrongs against them. You see, at Christmas, we have all this stuff that's really only good for about 30 days a year. Day, a couple days after Christmas, we all do the same thing. We take down the ornaments. We wrap them up and put them in the box. We take down the tree. If it's fake, you put it back in the garage or this attic. And if it's not, you throw it to the curb or whatever. But we don't need these things most of the year. But we need God's gift every day of the year. Because God's gift changes us, makes us gracious. Number two, makes us giving. 
God's gift, Jesus, makes us giving. You can't outgive God. You will never give anyone anything more precious, more needed, more profound, more costly, more glorious, no, no ring, no car with no bow, none of it could possibly outdo God's gift of grace in sending his son, Jesus Christ. And so God's gift makes us giving. Look at verse 11. Paul says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So when you receive the gift of a Savior, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of atonement, the gift of reconciliation, when you go from death to life as a gift, that makes you go, th go through life gracious and giving. God gave us Jesus, and when we receive him, we want to give. Third, we want to be generous. We want to be generous. Look at verses 12 through 14. Read this along with me. For this ministry, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all the others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God. The idea is that God's grace makes us give. God's gift makes us gracious. God's gift makes us generous. Before receiving God's gift of faith, by God's gift of Jesus by faith, we pretty much want others to serve us. But in verse 14, Paul says, when we receive the gift of Jesus, God's surpassing grace is upon you, and that changes you, that empowers you to want to be generous with others. Specifically, we want to meet the needs of the saints. We want to take care of each other. We want to be generous with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We care about everybody, but we really care about the family. Isn't that the way life goes? I love all the kids in the neighborhood, but not like I love my kids. I love people but I have a special love for my people. And God loves humanity, but he has a special saving love for the church, those who have looked to Jesus. And as the family of faith, we love everyone, but there's a special love that we have for one another. Look at verse 13. Paul describes the way that God is glorified when our confession of the gospel is matched by our generosity, by our service, and by our gracious giving. The birth of Jesus is the ultimate display of God's generosity. Listen, God's been good to you. God's been generous to you. God hasn't kept anything great from you. God gave you the greatest gift a person can receive, and he offers it freely to you. And that makes you generous, that makes you a servant, that makes you a gracious giver. And this is not just local good news, this is global good news. It's a small point, but let me, let me make a point from the text. Oftentimes there are things in the Bible that are sort of granular, but they're really important. Look at verse 13. Paul speaks about them and others. 
Paul is saying, this is good news for you, Corinthians. But he says, it's good for other people, too. Paul's saying, this is good for people in Asia. This is good for people in Africa. This is good for, for people in Korea. This is good for people way over there in a place yet to be named that will be called California. Paul is saying, wherever humans are, there is this free gift that is available to anyone who believes. Now, what does this mean for you? It means it doesn't matter about your background. doesn't matter about your failures. doesn't matter how embarrassed you might be of where you come from. The things you hope nobody knows about you. What this means is that God stands ready to give you the greatest gift possible, his own son, Jesus Christ, and all of his victory and all of his righteousness and all of his kingdom and his heavenly reign if we'll just receive that by faith. And if you read the book of Revelation, way over in Revelation chapter 7, John, the revelator, says this. He says, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from every tribe, and every people and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Sitting on the throne, the Lamb, the King, the Victor, surrounded by people from every tribe and tongue and nation, is Jesus, God's gift the baby in the manger. And so Paul says, listen, when you think about all that God is calling you to be, just remember all that Jesus is. And so to receive the gift of Jesus, you simply pray and express your understanding to God that you are a sinner who cannot save yourself and that you know that Jesus is God's gift and that you can receive his victory by faith. And if you will trust in him, you will have received God's gift. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are not stingy. You are generous. God, you are a cheerful giver. No one had to twist your arm to send Jesus. You sent Jesus willingly and freely for us to be saved. God, I pray that that glorious, profound truth would lift our heads, bring light to our darkness, draw us out of sin and into the orbit of obedience by the power of your Spirit. I pray, God, that this morning maybe we came to church really thinking, woe is me, poor me, nothing's good in my life. And God, would we just repent and confess our ingratitude? now that we've been reminded that you gave us the perfect gift, Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And God, to remember that whatever we're enduring, whatever we're suffering is temporary, but that glorious scene of heaven is eternal. So Lord, may we live for that day, that kingdom, that Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.